From climate change to COVID-19, infrastructure is a crucial part of the equation. I'm Oli Giu. And I'm Sheikha Voto, and this is Pitch Pulse, a podcast from the Private Infrastructure Development Group. Pitch finances innovative infrastructure projects in sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia. We're committed to the economic growth of the world's most fragile communities, lifting them out of poverty with a strong focus on sustainability. Pitch has just launched its 2020 annual review. So today we discuss everything from the company's pandemic response to sustainable development, safeguarding and future challenges. 2020 was a year that required fortitude and quick action. And what's been made clear over the last six months is we're not out of the woods yet. Not only is the work of Pitch critical in this time of uncertainty, it's actually never been more relevant. In this special edition of the podcast, we're opening the floor to the chair of Pidge, Andy Bainbridge, and CEO Philippe Vallehu. Welcome both. So Andy, why is Pidge more relevant now in the light of the pandemic? I think it's because the focus on enablement and transition is so clear. The pandemic has, has hit the poorest in society hardest. And at the same time over the last year, we've seen this, this huge transition around sustainability and the pace of sustainability and the use of the slogan, build back better. So there's a whole piece about, there's a transition occurring in terms of how things are done and the need to to change the impact of society upon the climate. Whilst at the same time, people are acutely conscious of enabling people to, to rebuild their lives. How has that relevance changed since Pidge was first established? Well, that's interesting because this is our 20th birthday year and frankly, this probably isn't how I'd choose to celebrate our 20th birthday, but that's, that's life. When, when we started, we started with some very smart and good people thinking about ways to plug specific gaps in terms of the financing of infrastructure, particularly right at the start around both the the tenor of financing, how how long-term financing could be, because it needs to be longer-term for for infrastructure, and also about crowding in the private sector and local currency. But I think since then, the relevance has grown and grown as the gaps throughout the infrastructure life cycle are much clearer, and Pidge plays to that. And if you want a world that is more equal in terms of opportunity for people you've got to you've got to give people access to infrastructure because that gives them the ability to improve things about their lives and the lives of those around them be that power which leads to heat and light and access to the internet and obviously over the last year the importance of data has really come to the fore worldwide in terms of giving people access to information and an ability for many people to to do certain things from home that they couldn't do before. So I think the relevance has, has only grown as the world has become more digital and people have, have seen the need to enable people at the bottom of the pyramid or near the bottom of the pyramid to do things they couldn't previously do. Yeah, and, and we've seen... Um this pandemic affect economic growth quite badly, actually, haven't we? What, to what extent has that happened? Well, look, I think it's a, 
the expectations are about a two two point one percent decline in growth in Africa last year, so in twenty twenty, and I think that's African Development Bank figures, and that that covers a wide range of things. So. East Africa recorded positive growth of about 0.7%. It was one of the very, very few areas in the world that had positive growth. Uh, and about minus 7 at the other end of the scale in Southern Africa. And those figures, when you think about minus 2%, minus 7%, sound pretty bad. But of course, Africa still has a growing population and a faster growing population than the rest of the world. So what that actually means is the GDP decline per capita was much more severe than that. So it's been devastating in terms of formal jobs. It's been really damaging in terms of informal and associated jobs, of which there are a huge number in Africa. And there's a real need to to build back quickly and to, to help help people to kind of get businesses going again, get their lives going again. Why is the focus on sustainable development particularly important here? I mentioned a little earlier the kind of transition that has accelerated over the last 14, 15 months, and it really is as short a time as that, although it feels like longer. And I think that's hugely important, particularly as we we think about COP26 later this year and the, the need to accelerate that transition. So sustainability is really important. One of the other things that I really like about sustainability though. If you think about it in terms of infrastructure and infrastructure provision for some of the poorest in society, sustainable development, sustainable infrastructure actually reduces the the cost to countries and reduces the cost to individuals and it reduces the currency risk as well. Because if you are if you're using renewable energy, then you're not importing resources on an ongoing basis as other countries quite often often are so you can improve the quality of people's lives in terms of infrastructure improve the financeability of these with the the cost changes we've seen in recent years and improve the quality of the environment and it is increasingly clear that continuing as we have for many years is no longer acceptable so sustainable and accelerating that transition is critical to to our future. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because continuing as we have done not being sustainable, it's almost the easy option, though, isn't it? When when we're faced with such uncertainty in the world right now, the world is in turmoil. It might not be OK to stay with what we know, but it might be the easiest route. And so I guess it would be easy to revert to what we know Um so how, how is it that Pidge is able to continue pushing the boundaries, Philippe? Um, why is it important for the company to do that even when it's difficult? I think if you look back at the past uh, 20 years, Andy mentioned our 20th anniversary this year. Indeed, I think part of our success is the ability to always operate and try to operate at the frontier. As you suggest, it would be easy to sit back now and do what we know and do what we do best. But that's not what we're about. And that's not what has made us in the past and will continue to make us. So for us, it's always about pushing and pushing the frontier. And by frontier, we don't just mean geographic. So it's not just the countries or the regions we operate in, but it's also about sectors, new sectors. It's about new products, new technologies, or standards that we are bringing to the market. So essentially, it's, a, it's about working in those broadly defined frontier areas that are viewed as riskier by other investors and to bring those 
investors along that journey with us. So now is not the time for us to hold back. Obviously, 2020 was a challenge beyond comprehension, something no one planned for. So how did Pidge rise to the challenge? As we, we saw this starting to come towards us, I thought the, the team performed fantastically well. And a word that I've used over the last year when describing this to, to people is the word pivot. The fact that many of the Pidge team pivoted to doing things differently, the, the TAF team rapidly allocated money to, to projects and allocated resources to, to the countries and projects that we were involved with to safeguard people and help protect them. The culture came together in a way that it hadn't previously with Philippe and the team instituting fortnightly town halls and starting to, to get that real spirit of operating across country, across boundary, across company in a way that we'd wanted to do, but, but hadn't found the right mechanisms to do that. So I think the team should be really pleased with that. And then at the, the end of the year, managing to, to complete 18 projects for, for Pidge, uh, a bit short of our, our initial total, but hugely ahead of where we thought we would be in the early days. And I think quite pleasing to our owners as well, because it required some imagination regarding virtual due diligence, uh, creating the ability to do things at a distance that we, we previously hadn't done. And how has all of this work benefited, directly benefited the communities in which Pidge works? Well, look, the, the headline statistic is that there's about 14 million people who will have access to new or improved infrastructure, which is fantastic. So as Philippe was mentioning about sustainability, this is about the EcoRent project in, in East Africa and providing climate-friendly cars, jobs, supporting that. There's a gender lens on there as well, which we think is, is really important. I hope we'll, we'll come back to that as we we chat more in, the, in this conversation. It's about scaled solar provision. And I talked a little bit earlier about how I think power is hugely important. I, I, I do wonder sometimes how long it will be before people think that, that access to data is, is a basic human right, because access to data is transforming the world. It's transforming the ability of the less privileged in society to actually do something about the future and to be able to access information, be able to access opportunities, be able to access jobs. So I used to talk about power being really important for heat and light and access to the internet for education. What the last 15 months has taught me a lot more about is the ability to enable people to earn, to work, to interact internationally through data. And providing that through the use of solar power, I think, is, is hugely important. One of the things we'll need to think about is how do we do more in terms of digital infrastructure, which is something Philippe and I are thinking about. Now, some of these are first-of-its-kind projects, and it really is an incredible list. Can you talk us through some of these? If I highlight three or four of them, for example, we were able to support and make happen the first East Africa Green Bond. And... A number of pitch entities or companies invested and supported this uh, first green bond in East Africa with a dual listing on the London and Nairobi Stock Exchange with the aim of developing energy efficient university student accommodation in Nairobi and certified to IFC edge standards. Again, a first and a, a very exciting one and one that we hope to be able to replicate um, elsewhere. In Malawi, we, you know, this is a country that has an electrification rate of just under 13%, with lots of power outages. And 
through one of the companies, we've been able to develop two solar power projects, which will have a battery energy storage solution. And again, a first for that region and something that would have been difficult to envision or even imagine three years ago, given the prices of battery energy storage solutions. But today it's a reality, it's possible, and it's something that we are doing on the ground. If I think of a Another one, we uh, worked in Zimbabwe. And if you recall, at the beginning, we talked about operating at the frontier. Here you have a project, which is the uh, Baitbridge border post, which is one of, probably one of the busiest on the African continent in the critical north-south corridor. And so we've supported through our debt fund and, and guarantee company the improvement of that uh, post in Zimbabwe bordering South Africa. And again, when you think about the risks that are typically associated with this and that people attribute to this type of project, that shows the, the projects in the countries and, and the places we are able to go to that others wouldn't simply not uh, be able to. And let's talk a little bit about um, COVID-19 again, because it's highlighted infrastructure's role in healthcare and economic and social cohesion, hasn't it? I think for me, there's a uh, statistic often cited at most events and one attends on development in Sub-Saharan Africa, and that is the fact that five or 600 million people do not have access to electricity. But there's another statistic, which in my mind, especially in this pandemic and soon to be hopefully post-pandemic world, is screaming out at us. And that is the fact that close to 65% of clinics in Sub-Saharan Africa do not have access to a steady source of power. And that, that's quite remarkable when you think about it, uh, especially in the middle of the pandemic. And so this is where you have the ability, I think, to think outside the box and, and to do something intelligent. If you look at the work that we are doing in the renewable energy space, and now with the ability to bring battery storage solutions, a lot of these clinics do not need massive amount of power to keep things going 24-7. So thinking about deploying renewable energy solutions with the battery storage to provide clinics that desperate power that they need on a regular basis. That's just one example of where I think we can think about doing things differently going forward. When we look at developing local capacity in renewable energy, transport and logistics, and food and water security, how will Pitch keep increasing momentum? I think two things to highlight, and Andy a few moments ago talked about scale and replicability. And I think those two key concepts go to the heart of what we are about and are trying to do. So if you think of the Infracos, and it's a role they play, which is not done by anybody, frankly. It's about working with local developers, enhancing the skills of those local developers. So in effect, you are providing capacity building, transferring skills, and ultimately with a view to, to exiting so that you can let these developers take over those projects. But so... Whether, as you suggest, in the uh, transport sector or the renewable energy, it is about working with these local developers at scale. So whilst in the past one might have looked at a small off-grid solution providing power to 500 people, which is great, but where do you go from there? Today it's about, whether in West or East Africa, for example, if we're talking about Africa, working with local developers, but now looking at a scale of 10, 50,000. And that's when you begin to have a potential significant impact on the populations that we are targeting. What's been made very clear is that the most vulnerable in society have been hit hardest by the pandemic. How is Pidge working to protect them? 
one of the, the key things here is we need to redouble our efforts around the most vulnerable. I mean, pitch is, is always focused upon the most vulnerable in society, those with the least access to infrastructure. For many, that could be typified as women and girls. So we've got much better over the last 12, 15 months. We have a clear gender action plan now. We've got a much clearer focus upon gender lens investment. It's one of our one of our targets to make sure that we've got this, to, to make sure that we are mitigating the, the risks to women and girls on one side, and then on the other side, prioritizing the investments that, that lead to opportunities for them. So one of the things I particularly liked a few years ago was we did a, an investment in a mobile telecoms company in a country that then got a technical assistance grant from us to, to roll out basic literacy campaigns for, for people on cell phones in remote areas, which we believe disproportionately benefited, and correctly so, women, women and girls in terms of teaching them, them literacy. That's the sort of thing that we need to be doing more of. What I've really liked again about the, the executive team over the last year under and the Marco's lead with Philippe is they've made this systematic now. So rather than it being something we wanted to do, we now have a process that every investment goes through and that forces us to look at this, which is fantastic. And Philippe, how do Pidge's four strategic economic development pillars fit into all of this? So if you think about those uh, the four pillars that underpin our strategy and specifically which are scale, replicability, affordability, and transformative impact, all those will continue to remain at the core of what we do, at the core of our business. And I think 2020 for me has highlighted the importance of continuing to be nimble as a group. We will obviously be asking more of our component parts. We will expect greater project cooperation between the pitch companies. And again, reminding that we have the early stage project developers, both for Sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia. We have the credit solutions business providing debt guarantees. And let's not forget our technical assistance arm that plays a critical role on the upstream space. So we also want to be able to crystallize and cement relationships that we have with other development finance institutions and multilateral development banks, because that's an important piece of the, of the puzzle. And as we build better, there's got to be considerably more cooperation, not just within ourselves, within the group, but amongst the other actors in the uh, aid architecture and ensure that we're not trying to duplicate things and people are not duplicating things that may already exist. And that means for us promoting our blended finance expertise and offering and then continue to be a advocate for um, the whole piece of work around development impact and working with private sector institutional and venture capital players with who we, we are partner with. Thanks to Andy Bainbridge and Philippe Thalahu for joining us on the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Pidge's 2020 annual review, visit pidge.org. You've been listening to Pidge Pulse. You can find our podcast on all the major platforms. Please like and review us on Apple Podcasts. Also check out our sister podcast, Garanko's Blended Knowledge, which is available on all good podcast apps. I'm Shika Voato. And I'm Oli Giyu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>